Would you turn in your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 4? 1 Peter chapter 4. We are continuing our Serve series today, and we're going to continue to look at how it is that we're called to live today. Last week we were in Galatians chapter 5. We looked at how God calls us not to look back to who we were, what we've been saved from. Don't look back, and it informs in how we're called to live today. And today we're going to look ahead to eternity, and then we're going to live today and how Scripture calls us to live today like we know where we're going. Scripture gives us a roadmap for how to live. It, it helps us to know where our eyes should be focused. It helps us to know what our days should be filled with, what, what we should be doing with our time, where our mind should be, what, what should be most on our heart. And today, I hope to just catch a glimpse yet again of the glorious future that we have, those who are followers of Jesus. But we're following him somewhere. We're following him both in becoming more and more like Christ and we're following him to a glorious future that he is currently preparing for us. And as followers, that makes a claim on us. It it makes a difference in what we give ourselves to, what we give our time to, what we give our attention to. And 1 Peter helps us to see that in a unique way. Would you read with me, please? 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace." Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Church, last week as we were looking at Galatians 5, we were thinking about the freedom that we have in Christ. We have been set free through Jesus Christ. Not to look back at our past to define how we live today as if we we just kind of continue to wallow in the things that God has saved us from, but we are to go out and give ourselves away. And today, in 1 Peter 4, I believe we'll see how we're called while giving ourselves away what it is that we're supposed to fix our eyes on, what it is that we're supposed to give our attention to. And we're called to fix our eyes on eternity as we serve one another. See, Christ reigns. He reigns over us. Sin no longer reigns in us. It does remain, but it does not reign. Christ reigns. Christ is resurrected. Christ is is returning. And in light of that, how is it that I'm supposed to live? In light of that, how do we love and how do we live and how do we serve earnestly, as this passage says? Well, let's let's start by by recognizing this. Only the gospel can generate an inside-out affection for others. Only the gospel can generate an inside-out service for others because Jesus has been the one who has rescued us from the inside-out. He has changed our hearts. He is renewing our minds, and that is supposed to have some kind of outward effect. What's happening inside of us is going to have an outward effect 
in our lives. In our home, we have this phrase called eyes of initiative. And I've, I've probably mentioned it in sermons past. It's one of the few things I feel like I've gotten right in parenting. Eyes of initiative. It means when you walk in a room, what are you walking into a room looking for, looking at, paying attention to? Eyes of initiative walk into a room and say, maybe that needs to be picked up. Eyes of initiative walk into a room and say, maybe I need to greet the person that is there. Eyes of initiative are looking outside of ourselves. It's taking initiative toward others. Why? Because Jesus has set the example in taking the initiative toward us. That phrase meant a lot more in the younger years in our home. It was kind of the rallying call for clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere, everybody do your share, right? Like, I think we've heard that kind of trope, but I, I didn't like it, so I just said eyes of initiative, and that was supposed to like springboard my children into action so that the house looks like dad once, reigning over his kingdom. It, it's never worked out that way, but man, it was a good idea. And in different seasons of our life, in different phases that we've gone through, even, even now, as we have, uh, we have a pup in the home, Duncan the Wonder Pup. I'm going to talk about him a little bit more in just a second. As we have a son who's moved out of our house, Eyes of Initiative looks very different because what's happening now is there's a shift in the division of labor, so to speak. The responsibilities that different people have. This is how this gets lived out in our house. Like, let's, let's not think that this is just about the church. A Christian culture should be shaped everywhere that we go. In light of who Christ is, in light of him saying to the woman uh, uh, at, at the well that it's not about this mountain or that mountain, there is no divide in where we are called to live out this Christian witness. Our homes most often is our most realistic mission field. And so we have to live it out this way. And I'm just bringing you into to what we're working through as a family. There's this new division of labor. Some responsibilities have rolled down from our eldest to our other two. And we're trying to figure that out. And you know what? We don't have it figured out yet. But you know what helps us to figure that out? Eyes of initiative. Eyes of initiative. When we see something that's lacking, do we just leave it until dad says something? Please don't do that. That's unhelpful for everybody. Eyes of initiative say, let me be a part of taking care of that. What does it look like to bring eyes of initiative into the workplace? What does it look like to bring eyes of initiative into your campus? What does it look like to live out eyes of initiative in the church? I believe it looks like this, our Christian witness. It looks like our Christian witness. It looks like the, the thing that says, I have been changed on the inside. Look at the outside affections and things that I'm going to give myself to that are different as a result. Eyes of initiative. All of us also have something that is implanted in our hearts. It's eternity. And I said this earlier in my prayer. I don't want eternity to be some burden that is like the end of life. See, Paul starts this passage with some fairly startling words. He says, the end of all things is near. It's not Paul, or excuse me, Peter. It's not Peter's chicken little moment like the sky is falling. This is Peter calling the church to some sense of urgency. And he knows who he's talking to. He's actually talking to people who are in the midst of tremendous suffering. 
He's talking to a church who are in the midst of being scattered and being sent out. If you remember from our Roman series, it was Nero who was the emperor at the time, and Nero is, is the emperor at, the, at this time as well. And so Christians have been scattered, exiled. They are sojourners in foreign lands, and they're just trying to find housing anywhere that they can. And what does Paul say? The end of all things is near. He's calling them to attention for something. He's creating a sense of urgency, not for some marketing gimmick, not to say, hey, this sale ends at such and such a time. He's just saying the fulfillment has come through Christ. Christ has come and he has fulfilled the law. He has introduced this new law of love that we are living out of. And we are returning to the precepts and the principles that God lays out for his people throughout Scripture. Live urgently. Live like the end is near. All of us have eternity imprinted on our hearts as created beings. Ecclesiastes 3.11 reminds us that he has put eternity into a man's heart. It's a key part of how we're made. It's how he has designed us as his children, as his people. But the question is this. What are our eyes focused on? Are they focused on the eternity that has been imprinted on our hearts? Or are they focused on gathering and gaining as much as we can today? Earlier this morning, I was out for a walk with Duncan the Wonder Pup. And I ran into a gentleman who was setting up for a church service that will happen this afternoon. I bumped into a man with eternity on his heart. Because even as we were trading pleasantries and I was, he was talking about Duncan and as we were kind of just exchanging hellos. He said, do you live in this area? And I pointed, and my house is like literally at the corner of the property that this church meets on. He said, we would love to have you stop by sometime. And I thought, how wonderful. No, but how wonderful. That's a man that has eternity imprinted on his heart. He understands the urgency of the days. And I thanked him for that. I said, thank you for being an illustration today in my sermon. No, I didn't tell him that. It's a man who's living in light of eternity. Come by. It was a very simple part of a conversation. And how many of us miss those moments in interactions? See, he was a man seeking to serve our greatest need. He was a man seeking to serve our greatest need, that of a savior. So those who are here today, if you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to come into the presence of God through those heavenly gates, we're called to live like it. We're not going to deny the world, but we're going to stay alert that Christ is returning. See, Christ followers are called to look ahead to eternity and live today like we know where we're going. So let's take the first part of that statement. We are going to look ahead to eternity. In the context for us today, the book of 1 Peter, we're again looking at uh, a book written in the earthly reign of Nero. We talked about that just a moment ago, but there are some startling words that kind of jar our attention, don't they? It can be easy to dismiss this and just think it's hyperbole. But these words were written so long ago, and it hasn't happened yet. So what what does that mean? Well, we are always living in the end times. We are always living in light of 
the end being near. And I think it's important for us to understand that there's kind of this eternal bookend to our passage today. Peter starts out by saying this, the end of all things is at hand, and he ends by saying this, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, through him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. There is an eternal bookend to our passage today. And what is that calling us to do? It is calling us to look ahead to eternity. To have our eyes, that window to our soul, that part of us that says what it is that we're thinking. I mean, how many of us have ever been in a conversation and our eyes have given us away? Our eyes have given us away as we are distracted by looking at something else to the left or to the right. As we are kind of dozing off maybe even in the midst of this. Uh, The eyes are said to be a window to the soul. The eyes are used all throughout Scripture to say what it is that a man's affections are pointed toward. So our eyes matter in these particular cases. What are our eyes looking to? And as followers of Christ, our eyes, our spiritual eyes, are to be looking to eternity. Looking to the day when He draws near again. Our eternal reality. Clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The end is near. Therefore, live this way. He's also talking about something that is not at the termination of time as we currently know it. He's, the, the word that is used here is actually the fulfillment of something. The fulfillment has come through Jesus Christ and there is an eternal fulfillment coming. So let's be on guard. Let's live differently. Our passage also closes with the words, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. See, we have, we have that dominion and that glory to look forward to forever and ever. It's a hope for us. It's something far greater than our circumstances today, which, which can be highs or lows, let's be honest. And we'll talk about it often here in, in this service as if it's highs and lows that happen on a daily basis. But if we're honest with ourselves, it can be moment by moment in any given day where our affections lie and where our emotions rise or fall. But there is a constant that we will be in the presence of in eternity. I long for that day. I'm not rushing it, but I long for it. I think it's a kindness that God hasn't returned yet. I think it's a part of His character from this standpoint. If what God holds back, even as He introduces Himself in the covenants in early pages of Scripture, what He holds back, what He restrains, what is held back is His wrath and His justice. And in his not returning, what is he doing? He is continuing to show his love for his creation that we might share with all who will hear his goodness and his mercy. That we may not just be ones who are rescued ourselves, but we're going to take everyone that we possibly can. That's what it means to live in light of eternity. Looking ahead to eternity. Now, I look forward to perfect union and communion restored. I look forward to heaven experienced as an eternal home. This dwelling in the presence of our maker forever. And there are times it sounds so wonderful, I just want to go now. 
but you realize that's where it's not a weight. Oh, it's a glorious hope. It's a glorious hope that we can live with. So with our perspective fixed on eternity, we are informed in how to think about things around us in the world today. How it is that we should process what's going on. It renews the thoughts that we have in our mind. And in verse 7 it says that we are called to be self-controlled and sober-minded. So the imminent arrival of the end is not simply a call to look to heaven and wait for Jesus' return. Just kind of throw yourself into neutral. No, it's actually a call to action. It's a call to action today that we would live self-controlled and sober-minded. The self-control that we have would be the fruit of the Spirit living and working through our lives. That's going to bear out over time. That's going to mean living with one another in certain ways. It's going to mean that our actions are going to bump into the actions of others and we're going to be tempted and what we're called to display is the fruit of the Spirit of self-control. It means that we are also to be clear-minded, sober-minded, sane in our thinking. The the word here is used the same as in Luke 5 when Jesus cast the demon out of the man. Jesus brings him to a place of sanity, of clear-mindedness. The fog is lifted. There's not static from the world around us. Our minds are to be clear because they're focused on one thing. They're not trying to focus on everything let's just be honest God's got everything and he's a lot better at it than I am so we can live sober minded this there's an interesting phrase here in verse 7 as well look at it with me if you would the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of of your prayers. Now it may seem like this. If, if I'm not self-controlled and sober-minded when I'm calling out to God for help in my time of need, on the surface it may look like, well, I guess then my prayers aren't effective. Even when I'm just crying out for help. Actually, that's not exactly what Peter's trying to say here. That's kind of the rendering of the original text. I think maybe a more helpful way to understand that phrase is this. For your prayers to be informed rightly. What do we do? Well, we don't focus on all of these other things. We focus on the nearness of God. We focus on being self-controlled, the fruit of the Spirit being born out in our lives. We focus on being clear-headed, and that informs our prayers. That informs the way that we pray for those around us. Now, if we think about it, what we're seeing in this passage so far is, is really talking about and is dealing with in terms of our eternal mindset in terms of self-control in terms of sober-mindedness that's dealing with me as an individual it's dealing with you as an individual it's talking about this relationship that we have with god this cosmic divide that that jesus has now permanently corrected and made it to where even today we can experience the good of an eternal dwelling we see glimpses of that today We can experience glimpses of that today. But it's dealing with me as an individual. But here's what's going to happen. It's going to start to have this overflow effect into how my relationships with others, my interactions with others. But it's an overflow of the goodness, the mercy, the kindness, the hope that we've received from Him. Jesus has restored 
our right relationship with God the Father so we can not only look ahead to eternity, we can look forward to it. We can look forward to it. So here's the call for us today as a church. Let's live like we know where we're going. If we're looking ahead to eternity, if we're looking forward to eternity, let's live today like we know where we're headed. How does that look practically? Verse 8 tells us, sincere love. Sincere love. It testifies that a person is living in light of the future. True love is going to cover a multitude of others' sins. And we're going to look at that phrase in just a moment a little bit more specifically. But see, where love abounds, offenses are quickly forgotten. They are frequently overlooked. We saw this in our Roman series, that we are not keeping a ledger of wrongs. Well, you've wronged me the least, so you get a Christmas card this year. No. In light of what I've been forgiven of. Oh, it's so easy to offer forgiveness toward others. See, only the gospel generates that inside-out affection. Only the gospel makes it to where we're not keeping score or keeping tabs. Because from an eternal standpoint... God's not looking to our actions. That score has been settled through Christ's one finished work on the cross. That's the good news that expresses itself in sincere love. Verse 9 goes on to tell us that we are to show hospitality. Now this hospitality, let's remember this is a church that is scattered It's similar to the church in Rome that it was a church that was made up of those who were Jewish uh, believers in Jesus Christ. It was made up of those who were Gentiles, that means not of Jewish descent, that have come to saving faith in Jesus Christ as the message of the gospel is not contained to one nation of people, but it is now a priesthood of believers, a, a royal nation. But they're scattered everywhere. And it says, show hospitality. See, that that would have hit a little different back then. It doesn't just mean invite somebody over that you don't know. It, It does certainly mean that. But it doesn't just mean that. It means these are people who have no home. And it's a reminder for us that this world is not our home. Practicing hospitality is a very practical reminder that this world is not our home. And so we want to invite other sojourners, those who may not know the way home, those who may not know this dwelling place that they are invited into that points to an eternal dwelling place that Jesus is currently preparing for us. Showing hospitality is a very practical way that we are reminded that this world is not our home. See, hospitality was not only admired in both Greco-Roman and Jewish times, it was needed in an era where inns may have been a greater place of danger for people who were traveling about. And isn't that a reminder for us? In this world, there are many toils and snares. Let's be people who show hospitality that points to a dwelling place beyond and so much greater than this world. Verses 10 through 11 tell us that we are called to serve one another. We have all, as as believers in Jesus Christ, we have all received the gift of the Spirit at work in us 
ministering to us to help us understand the gospel, our need for a Savior, and not only our need for a Savior, but in Jesus Christ, the provision of that salvation that we need. The Holy Spirit is a part of us from the beginning of our faith. But He also gives us gifts, and we are called to steward those gifts very practically, that we're caring for, that we're ministering to others through those gifts. We're making use of the gifts. And it's going to provide many opportunities for what we're talking about, to grow in love. It's going to give us many opportunities to show hospitality. It's going to give us many opportunities to be self-controlled and sober-minded, where we're not just kind of relying on talents or abilities or gifts that God is the source of, but we use them in a way that points to God as the source of all of those things. We use them in a way that proclaims His glory and His excellence most specifically. Now Peter kind of goes on to reference our speech and our service as ways that we not only respond in a moment, but it's something that we're going to repeat throughout our lives. It's going to be something that becomes a very natural part of us, this overflow of mercy and grace that we have received. So in speaking... Uh, Peter kind of chooses two examples. He says, first, that speakers are to remember that they have the privilege and responsibility of teaching the very words of God. Anything that we say, anything that we do, anything that we are, that we are living out of is supposed to point back to His glory. Those who speak are speaking representing one who is far greater than them, and that should sober us all. It causes us not to be flippant in our words. Urgent, but not flippant. Those who serve are ministering by serving others. They're doing so in God's power and not their own. I I think this is important for us to capture as a church. Jesus invites us who are weary, who are tired, who are burdened by the things of the world, who who wear it like the weight of treading through the mud of the world through the week, and it's like it's dried on us. And He invites us to come near to Him. He will give us rest. He will wash the things of the world off of us. But He doesn't just bring us to this baseline He doesn't just bring us to this baseline where we're not tired or weary. He empowers us for something. He he takes us from being on the defensive and he puts us in this offensive stance that we are moving forward. We are moving toward others. He empowers us for that. So he gives strength to the weary and he empowers for service. That's the breadth of the work of Jesus Christ. That's the breadth of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of those who are a follower. If you're here and you're tired today, there is hope for you in Jesus Christ. He is here to minister to you as one who is weary. But He will not just bring you to a place of not being weary. He will empower you for what He has purposed for you. And that's good news for us. Because there are times when we get a glimpse of what God has created us for. When we get a glimpse or an understanding of His purpose for us, it can be quite overwhelming. It can be something that feels like it's too much for us to do. And here's the good news. It is. But it's not too much for Him to do through us. 
from weary to empowered. That's the good news of the gospel for us. And so we can serve others in a sober-minded, sincerely loving, hospitable, serving, speaking the truths of God kind of way. Isn't that how we long to live anyway? It gives us such a tremendous purpose beyond ourselves. But it's a tremendous contrast to the activities that Peter mentions in the verses that precede this text. And in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their their life that was just going in this sojourner, exiled kind of way, what were they giving themselves to? Verse 3 says they were giving themselves to drunkenness rather than sober-mindedness. Verse 3 tells us they were giving themselves to lawless activity rather than sincere love. Orgies rather than showing hospitality. They were maligning one another rather than serving one another. See, church, Peter has the same view in mind. Don't go back to those things. Don't go back to the things that never filled you to begin with and Christ gave his life to save you from. Look ahead to eternity and live like you know where you're going. We have a testimony of a couple of ladies in our church who have lived this out in a very practical way for us as an example to us. And then we're going to close in just a moment by seeing how as Christ's followers we're called to look ahead to eternity and live like we know where we're heading and how it is that Christ sets that example for us. But for right now, would you enjoy Aaron and Alicia's testimony? I'm Erin Blanton. Hi, I'm Alicia Sumner. We serve in the coffee team. We also serve in hospitality, and this year we helped out with the Alive Youth Camp. We uh, served all the meals that were provided for the lunch and dinner. um, And a snack. And a snack. (laughs) I didn't actually know I wanted to volunteer for this until I was asked to do this by Emily. And... I was like, okay, yeah, I'll help out. So I asked my husband, I asked Aaron, they both agreed without question, and it was us for the whole week. We both have uh, kids and youth, and so our kids were going to be there anyway, and we just said, all right, uh, so that's how we can help, and we can volunteer, and we can pitch in, and so that's what we decided to do. There was a kind of an excitement about it. I would like to know more about the youth, about uh, where my kids are and you know, what they're involved in and, and where they're at. More about our youth leader, who is awesome, by the way. And then serving is just a, a, a great stepping stone to be able to uh, get to know these people better and their backstories better. I, I love that we were kind of trusted, like somebody thought we could handle this. Yeah. Yeah, so I love that, you know, they thought we could handle it. Silly them. (laughs) We did good. We did all right. Alicia and I work really well in the kitchen together. We actually serve very well together, so we complement each other um, in in the serving aspect of what we do. We're both moms. We're both um, 
Mom's a four, so we are very familiar with big meals, big kitchen it was prep. Fun. Yeah, and it was, it was fun. and it was a lot of fun having the kids come through and being able to meet them and see them uh, for a couple of meals each each day was pretty cool. You know, you got to see a familiar face and incredibly polite kids. You know, we've been at a couple churches now. This church, more than any church I've ever seen, it just has a an atmosphere of gratitude, of, I see you, I see what you're doing. I, I've not seen that really anywhere else, that, you know, from Chris, every Sunday morning, I will see him, you know, like, shout out to this team, or this team, or this team. And, and the, the youth are seeing this because they were showing the gratitude. So it's trickling down. And the youth leaders were so kind, so appreciative. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. One of our biggest things that we um, took from this was they walked in one day and they talked about the fact that in one of their prayer times, uh, they were praying for the kitchen ladies. <laughs> That was so touching to us because that was, I mean, they were just taking time out and the fact that they were appreciating the fact that we were volunteering our time. Um, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was. I think any time that you serve and that you volunteer, I think that you always um, gain a little bit. I think that it's just it's such an amazing way that the Lord kind of brings you together. I just feel so blessed that I get to be a part of something, that I am needed, that I have skills that can be used, even if it's just cooking for someone. I can cook, I can do something, I can help the church, I can be part of something that's bigger than myself. I think it was a lot of fun, and yes. I'm, I'm really glad that we did it, and I will definitely volunteer next year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Ladies, thank you, but let me make one thing clear. We are who we are as a church because of people like you. And I'm so grateful. Also, they're a lot crazier than that video makes them look. And we love that too. In closing, let's consider this. Let's consider how Christ doesn't just give strength to the weary who come to him. He tips the scales through his favor toward us. That he moves us from giving strength to empowering. And let's look at some specific ways that he does that. How about in our speaking? Jesus Christ is himself the truth in the message that we are called to proclaim. He is the only way. He is the truth in the life that we may know the way through him to the Father. How about in serving? He is the example of a true servant. He is the greatest in his kingdom. How about in the gifts and in, in the serving and the stewarding of those things? He is, Jesus Christ is the embodiment of all of the gifts. And he freely gives those for us to display his glory through our lives. What about through hospitality? Psalm 23 tells us that he is our good shepherd. 
He brings us to his table to enjoy communion with him until we're with him forever, our good shepherd. The night before his death, he gave us the act of communion to remember his death. But Psalm 23 reminds us that there is no enemy in this world that can overcome his work. And so as he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies, it is a reminder to us that this world will fall away in eternity. He is hospitable to us. What about in his love covering? See, God is not a forgetful father. He's not kind of this Mr. Magoo character that has all of these great attributes, except he can be forgetful about our sin. No. Through Christ, God chooses to look at Christ's finished work on our behalf rather than our good works. See, we can cover minor offenses toward others because of the cosmic covering we have received in the robes of righteousness that are put on us in Jesus Christ. That's how love covers us so that we can cover others' offenses. What about self-controlled or sober living? The fruit of the Spirit can, can be cultivated in us even as we give ourselves away to others because we are being made into the likeness of the one who saved us. See, Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Isn't this marvelous? The gospel is this unified thing all throughout Scripture. And it's moving toward us as those who follow Jesus Christ. So for the ones who take hold of Peter's teaching, the old has passed away because fulfillment has come through the law of Christ. Fulfillment has come to the law through Christ, excuse me. Every man or woman who is following King Jesus now has a choice to make in the way that they respond to his salvation. They have a choice to make in the claims that he makes on our life as our Lord. Don't look back. Give yourself away. Look ahead and live like you know where you're going.